Podcast One. everyone and welcome to Listen Able uh, back again for another fortnight with another episode, another guest. And uh, we're actually doing something that uh, a lot of people have been requesting. Uh, a lot of the guests that we've had, Dylan, on this uh, podcast have been people with uh, disabilities that are visual, yourself included. Mm-hmm. But we keep getting messages about invisible disability. Yeah, non-physical disabilities and even things that aren't strictly like disabilities, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's a line that I'm not even sure about, like what is a disability, what is a disease, to me, it doesn't really matter, but for some people, it might, how they identify. So it's going to be, it'll be really interesting today to talk to today's guest about where they sit. I'll tell you what, she's very impressive. A teaser reel that we both watched. Um, very exciting. So let's get into it. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. My name is Emma Money, and I am actually this year's Australian of the Year, South Australian local hero. I'm the ambassador for the Cure for Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I do a lot of things, which I'm sure we're going to get into very soon. Yeah, you're also an author and a mother, but uh, people might have already picked up on what your disability is, which is? Cystic fibrosis. Now, first and foremost, before we get into that, is your last name really money? It is. Yeah, it's money. That's the best last name. (laughs) I love it. I've never met anyone with a last name. Between that and power. Yes. Power is another great. So cystic fibrosis, is that, do you classify that? you know, before we get into what that means, do you classify it as a disability or a disease or where do you sit? Yeah, so it's definitely a disease. It's hereditary disease. Um, But I think because of the effects of it being a disease, there are aspects of the disease that classify or, you know, whatever rightfully terms it is, it is a disability in its own way as well. For people who don't know what cystic fibrosis is, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the disease? Sure. So cystic fibrosis primarily affects the lungs and digestive system. So people with CF have very thick, sticky mucus. So a simple cold could lead to a chest infection. Sadly for me, I've seen many people go down the path of uh, getting a cold um, and their lungs being having been damaged, um, which have resulted in lung transplants. And for quite a few of my childhood friends, sadly, the illness has sort of beaten them and taking their life. And I always bring that up to sort of remind people of just how serious cystic fibrosis is. You know, we may look very healthy and on the outside, but we're fighting a battlefield on the inside that no one knows about. You saying that, I actually lost a mate to cystic fibrosis. His name was Warren and he had the biggest muscles I've ever seen. He was ripped. He would smash 20 <laughs> beers. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't really understand cystic fibrosis. And then literally like I woke up and got told on Facebook that he passed away in the night. I couldn't believe it because mm. of how fit and healthy it was. You know what I mean? And I think, as you said, it is a disease, you know, that affects you in ways that you probably don't really notice for externally. Yeah, I think looks can be very deceiving. You know, never judge a book by its cover. Big thing. What about with COVID? We're, I mean, people within the disability community as well, uh, we're talking about maybe needing to isolate further because they're more susceptible yeah. Immuno- to lower com- immune system. Immunocompromised. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, how are you going? I mean, you're not in Melbourne. Dylan and I are. We're doing this via Zoom, so we couldn't be even more socially distanced if we tried. But how are you going with this and um, and the people in your community? Well, for cystic fibrosis, I actually feel like I could be a bit lighthearted with it all. You know, COVID restrictions for the rest of the world, having to social distance, wear a mask, you know, use germ busters. 
that's my life. So it's finally a bit of, in my eyes, I'm trying to look at the positives in every bad situation. Um, the rest of the world finally gets a bit of a taste of what life for cystic fibrosis people is, right. you know. You go to a supermarket, someone sneezes on their hands, touches a trolley, God only knows what bacterial infections you could catch. Um, it just so happens that now people have clocked on to hygiene. So I actually... I'm very lucky here in South Australia. Um, we haven't been affected as badly as everyone else, so fingers crossed it stays that way. But um, I seem to be, as well as the rest of the CF community, staying very healthy because everyone else around us is being very cautious of germs and bugs. So we seem to be okay, which is good. That's good. So not to be doom and gloom, but if someone with CF was to catch COVID, it would be a yeah. big problem. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, personally I got influenza last year and that can kill CF people. So COVID, you know, it's a whole other ball game. Um, but I guess at the end of the day I have seen some stories about some people in America, in the US, who have had um, COVID who have CF and they've come through. There's only one CF person I'm aware of in the States that, yeah, got COVID and passed away. But, again, it's like anything. You've got to look at everyone's circumstances and their health compared to someone else's health. You know, very case by case, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. We always kind of get a little bit of an understanding of a person's disability slash disease at the start of this podcast, but then we like to go back to the start of their yes. life. Can you take us back to a very young Emma Money? I was given up for adoption because of my illness. My biological family were new to Australia from Greece. So the average life expectancy, just to give you some facts for CF, is, you know, roughly 37 years old. That's a whole other story that doesn't sit right with me. You know, I'm not a carton of milk with a use-by date. So <laughs> when I was born, my birth family were told for me to survive childhood was probably not very, the chances were not very high. So my birth family, birth parents made the decision to give me up for adoption and that was because that was the right decision for them. They were new to Australia, not very much um, English background, if at all any, and if you even today Googled cystic fibrosis, it's very scary. So funnily enough, Dylan, you've always been someone that's been in my forefront of my head and mm. this might be why. Hey. Mum and Dad adopted me. I was only a couple of weeks old. I was born in October and by Christmas Mum and Dad had their first sort of day with me um, and it was a year-long process until finally I was given to them. However, my dad is my inspiration. He is a paraplegic. During COVID he was involved in another, well, in an accident which resulted in him having to have his other leg amputated. So my whole life I've said, Dad's been my inspiration. He's got one leg, one hip, no kidneys. He's dialysed many times a week. He represented Australia in the Seoul Paralympics and missed my first birthday. So they were going through the adoption process and then found out they had me and Dad had to go off to Seoul. What sport? Um, what sport? Uh, weightlifting. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, so you've been someone that's always been in our family, sort of, you know, um, on our on our radar. If you don't so, mind me asking, what happened? Why is your dad a paraplegic? What happened? Yeah, so dad's story is very amazing too. Um, dad was a victim of the uh, white policy. So when he was nine years old, unfortunately, he lived on Christmas Island. Um, his mother actually beat him with a bamboo stick and that was a form of child abuse, obviously. That resulted in him breaking his back. It wasn't until the next morning he said he remembers walking home with a friend because he was still walking at this point, and I say walking loosely, he was in a lot of pain, he collapsed and he never walked again. Now, the white policy situation, I talk about that because at this point he still had legs and, you know, just a broken back. 
But because he's a black man, he wasn't allowed to come to Australia for treatment. So he was sent to Singapore where he was mistreated. The care for his injury was not the proper care and that resulted in many issues for his life up until the age of 16. So it was when he was 16 years old. So you think he was a nine-year-old, had the accident from the age of nine to 16, going back and forth to having treatment that was not really the right treatment. At the age of 16, he had to make a decision and that was to either lose his life or his hip and leg. So dad chose his hip and leg. And and I always talk about him and my mum because the journey that they had to adopt me, I'm very blessed you know, I see dad with a very visible disability and he has to dialyze three times a week. Otherwise, he won't be here the next day if he missed one day of it. Can you talk about then, what dialyzing is? Yeah. So for those of you that don't know what dialysis is, um, it's basically a treatment where they the patient goes into the hospital and spends anywhere from four to six hours. I'm sure that longer or shorter time frame. My dad spends six hours where he's hooked up to a machine and has blood flushing through his system um, because he obviously can't, he doesn't have the uh, usage of what our kidneys do. They're like computer kidneys. So you go in, they act as your kidney and then you get about, yeah, 48 hours turnaround and you go do it again. So otherwise, so your kidneys flush out toxins and things like that and turns your blood around and things. So what's your dad's name, by the way? My dad's Arnie. Arnie, Arnie, Arnie money. Oh, Arnie, so good Arnie. for a powerlifter, Arnie, gonna, the powerlifter. I'm writing his name down in our to-do list on Listen Able. <laughs> he sounds pretty good. He's amazing. What, what age did your biological parents know you have cystic fibrosis? Cystic fibrosis, um, babies are tested at birth. Oh. So, and in Australia now, um, every baby is is tested when they're born. So back then when I was one, that was 87, um, there's a heel, te- um, a heel prick test you can do. For me, I um, when a baby is born, they pass um, their first poo, a myconium, um, and it's like black tar. It's really gross. Now I'm a mum, I get what that poo looks like. Mm. Um, however, I didn't pass that, and that is a sign of cystic fibrosis, a dead giveaway oh. um, when a baby doesn't pass that. So I actually have a scar on my lower um, stomach from where they actually had to cut me open as a baby. And my mum remembers after adopting me for the first year, she said you were very sick, not with CF lung problems as such, but it was my bowel issues. You had to sit there for days and days, weeks and weeks, just wiping away the bowel movement that was coming outside of my stomach. So not something I actually often really talk about, but that was probably my first year with mum and dad. But, you know, I think what I was saying earlier is I've been set these amazing foundations of strength and courage and perseverance where um, I feel very blessed to continue going through my life and sort of see that, yes, I've got cystic fibrosis and there has been a lot of things and we'll go into it, I'm sure now, um, that have happened, but um, you can't let a disability, whether that be visible or invisible, be a reason to fail. It shouldn't be an excuse. It should just be an interruption, which is exactly what it is. Did you ever reach out to your biological parents or just ship them off? No, I found them by accident here in Adelaide. By accident? Um, well, at the Malls Balls. Adelaide. Nearly. That's his one reference. Adelaide reference. That's his one reference. Thank you. I'm done. That's my... It's such a token um, thing for us here in Adelaide. They're not even that good. No. The pigs in the ball are better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you that story? Please. Where'd you? That's a weird coincidence. Very. So when I was about 16, um, I was out one evening. Now, I've known my whole life that I'm adopted. Like, my dad's black, I'm white. It's a dead giveaway. (laughs) And my mum and I do look quite similar, which is funny, but I've always known. But I was out one evening 
and I had a friend driving me and some girlfriends home. Now, this sounds very dodgy, (laughs) but it really wasn't. It was a friend's friend driving me and a couple of girls home. Now, this boy kept looking at me in the revision mirror. I say boy loosely. He was probably five years older than me at the time. And I was a bit uncomfortable. And then I said, why why do you keep staring at me? And he said, what are you doing out so late? And I said, well, um," and it kind of got very uncomfortable very quickly. Turned out this guy said I looked like someone he knew and asked me what nationality I was. I said, I'm Greek. So he said some Greek words to me and I said, I don't understand you. And he said, how do you call yourself a Greek if if you can't speak it? I thought, all right, I'll just tell you the story. I was given up for adoption, blah, blah, blah. He slammed on the brakes, pulled over and could not believe what he'd just heard. Turns out, this is how small our world is, Mm. he was very good friends with my biological brother and remembers my biological brother having a baby sister die with cystic fibrosis. And I was her. Um. And he thought I was my younger sister who's 14 months younger than I am. So just to give you a bit of a snippet as to why he thought I had died, after I was given up for adoption, my birth father set up a phone call to my birth mother to tell her the baby had died. So since I'm now in my 30s, over this last couple of decades, I've learned that he knew all those years I was alive. Wait, but your mum, your biology dad told your biology mum that you died, so she didn't know. Yeah, and to the point... I've only just learned, my brother, four years older than I am, he told me only late last year he remembers driving past a cemetery um, looking for my my site. He remembers as a kid driving past with his mum every day looking, just looking for me. Wow. Jeez. So you could imagine the shock. <laughs> Long story short, if I fast forward to today, I went through a journey of finding them. I met them. How would your biological mum go yeah. when she realised you were alive? Oh, um, it was very Were they still together, your parents, your biological parents? No. um, Something came up and um, kind of blew up their world. I say that in a very nice way. And I look back, I was writing my journals and I talk about how I felt when I pulled down the driveway and there's my birth mum running out, screaming, looking at me, calling me the name they called me, Um. not Emma, Um, and the relationship and how that all went down. So... Today, I speak with my birth father. I don't speak with my birth mother or sister. Um, I have a very close relationship with my birth father. He's very honest, very honest. Like told me if they knew I was going to have CF, they would have aborted the pregnancy, which give or take people have over the years sort of kind of thought in a wrong way, you know, well, he's a bad man and that whole situation. But I'm so grateful, you know, I believe your eyes are put in the front of your head for a reason. If you're meant to look back, they'd be in the back of it. And I think that if I hadn't have been given up for adoption, one, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Two, there's no perfect ending to how meeting a biological family is ever going to turn out. And three, I have two beautiful parents who have given me so much more than just life. And that's all because I was chosen to be given up for adoption. And as my mum and dad always say, I was the chosen one in their house. So I'm going to keep going with that. Your adoptive parents, they chose you because you had your disease. Yeah. Can you take us through why they decided to choose a baby who had a life expectancy? And I'm using inverted commas. Like an unhealthy, you know, you say inverted commas, unhealthy baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
funny, it's really funny. This is just a testament to the kind of people my parents are. They didn't actually want a child with CF to start with. Um, they went through a special needs adoption course here in Adelaide um, and that course took them through what it looked like to adopt a child or baby with a disability. They met at a conference and my mum said the day, the minute she met dad, he was there as a Olympian and mum was there with some um, patients. My mum's a nurse so she was there with some patients and um, she said she saw dad from across the room and did not see anything but this beautiful man's eyes and this big infectious smile. She didn't see a wheelchair. She didn't see a disability. She saw my dad, Arnie. And big, they big cannons, big arms, surely, as well. And big yeah, arms. He's, he's our pal, if that. Um, and he, he, does, he did have big arms. <laughs> so love at first sight. So they literally within a year got married and life started for them, right? So when they... I don't even know how they came to that decision that they wanted children given that they had been together for, you know, only a few years. But mum said they wanted to give a child the opportunity to live a normal, because let's be honest, what's normal anyway, mm. but a normal life. And they already had to make adjustments, so to speak, for my dad's life mm -hmm. and they just wanted to do that for another baby or child. But then they came across CF. Um, me and there were apparently five other families who also wanted to adopt me. Oh. But I guess there's some people out there, you know, that we need more people like that that don't see people as a disability. And mum often tells me that, you know, she remembers being in a mother's group, the first mother's group with me having CF and a few other mums with CF babies and they were all sobbing and they were all so sad that their baby had CF and mum said something along the lines of she remembers thinking she needs to celebrate CF because it's brought them to me and we're going to make, it's never going to be an, a, a reason for me not to live a normal life. It's going to interrupt our lives, but we're going to live the best bloody life. And if anything, we're going to prove all of this wrong. So they're celebrating it, if anything. It's a testament. I'm, I'm sure you're the same as a parent now I and mean, we'll get to your kids soon but like you know my parents would go yeah. to play group and everyone's like oh you go up to my mum and say you poor thing are you okay and my mum was yeah. like bloody oath my kids are play group like why would I not be okay so it's changing that perception isn't it big time and, and sadly you know um, I think there's a lot of old school people even the other day my daughter was getting out the car with my dad and mum was helping him get out the wheelchair and mum said uh, Ava my daughter said mum everyone was staring at him and, and giving him funny looks why why and I thought, how do I answer that? And I said, oh, well, some people just want to be like him, you know, mm -hmm. trying to normalise it. But yeah. we should be normalising things. Um, and I guess that people like yourself, Dylan, and probably me in some way that need to be that voice for other people to go, well, we're not different. Like, mm. why, why? Don't make us stand out for wrongful reasons. At the start, you said that the life expectancy for someone with CF is 37. You're 33. 32. 32. Good dog. Now, you, I love the way you don't put it that you're 25. not. <laughs> I love the way that you put it that you're not a bottle of milk. You don't have an expiration date. But yeah. as you get closer towards 37, is there some sort of apprehension and fear? Um, no. Well, let's, there's the reality. Yeah, kind of. But then the actual reality is I'm planning a 40th in the Greek Islands. So <laughs> I got a long time to go. I feel very lucky, you know. Uh, over the years, I've watched many people pass away that have CF or that don't have CF. And I think you've got to be positive 
at the end of the day, your time is going to come when your time is going to come. Mm-hmm. I look at having CF and a use by date, so to speak, in the medical world um, as unfair. And to be honest, I would rather tell it where to go because I live my everyday busy. If anything, I think I've changed my mindset, especially since becoming a mum, that I have more of a reason to be here and knowing that I have CF and that I can take the proper steps to be as healthy as I can, like being compliant, exercising, mm-hmm. doing all of the things I know I can do, I think I'm going to be here for a while. You know, I've got a big list. Expectancy of, of life again. Do you yeah. know people who, I'm sure you've read, people who have lived past 37? Can you live well beyond your years of 37 years old? No, I don't know. I think um, at the end, there are definitely, I've met people over the years. One thing I'm really funny on, and again, this is, I feel like the older a CF person gets, the more visible CF becomes. So in my voice, you can probably hear I'm a little bit husky. Um, CF people have like the the scungy voice because we're forever clogged up, so to speak. Maybe I Um, have, maybe I have CF. (laughs) Dylan might need to get diagnosed. I'm as husky as it gets. (laughs) you got to embrace it. Um, Mine's more gravelly than husky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I like that. I've got, I've got the gravel too. It's mm. fine. It's, uh, but um, I definitely have seen people, probably more so people that have had lung transplants and whilst a transplant is great, it gives you, um, it fixes a problem with a problem, um, you know. <clears throat> I've seen anti-rejection and then people pass away. So, <clears throat> pardon me, I guess my biggest thing, looking at older people, um, it's not, there's, there's definitely a heap over in the States. Here in Australia, there probably isn't a huge amount of people probably over their 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, I always wanted to find, I never had a girl, a female that I could Google that had CF that I could look up to. And I say that in a funny way because I think, you know, you can Google a CF male um, and there's definitely some really amazing men that are doing cool stuff out there um, and they're older. So for me, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be that old CF girl that people can Google in times to come. So right. um, that is doing good things. Google me for the for the right reasons, you know, and see that I'm, I'm making a positive difference. That's good. Obviously, COVID's topical at the moment. Can I ask, at the moment, you've got to clear your throat a lot because your CF makes you do that. How are you going walking around clearing your throat? Because I know when we're on radio. Oh, we're so scared was, to cough or I was doing I was doing a bit on radio and my throat got dry and I was like, and Angus is like, no, because everyone's going to think you got coronavirus. And then it's worse because you get the anxiety, you get really hot yeah. you're trying to cough back and then you're like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And then you're like, no. don't worry, I've got CF. And everyone's like, what the hell's CF? <laughs> it's, just in a, yeah. it's funny you say that, me clearing my throat. I've learned it's a very habit, habitual yeah, habitual, yep. yep. Yep, that's it. And, and if you, if right. I am consciously aware of it, I won't do it. Mm. But, um. It's like if you're nervous, you know, mm. someone will sit there twiddling their thumbs or something. For me, <clears throat> <laughs> You have touched on a few times that you're a mother, which is awesome. Congratulations. We heard your little kid in the background before. Homeschool, is yep. it? Oh, yep, yep. And no, he's turned five, so he's on the iPad. Okay, very Perfect. nice. So yep. when did you decide to have kids? Because was there an added yep. risk of having kids whilst having CF? I imagine there might have been. Yeah, literally one morning I woke up and a switch went on and it was my maternal switch and I wanted to be a mum. So I remember Googling stuff going, okay, cystic fibrosis, pregnancy, motherhood, there was absolutely nothing positive about it. You know, why, first of all, why would you have a baby if you know you're not going to be around to see them grow up was the first big thing and there was a lot around that. 
from a health perspective. Can you, before you go into health, can you touch on that? Like that, that would have been a big yeah. thing that's playing on your mind, I imagine. It did play on me, but then I also have my dad always in my forefront going, he's a cockroach. The amount of times we've nearly lost my dad over the years for different health reasons, there's no way I imagined my dad to be here still today. And I'm so grateful and blessed that he is. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot more to do. So I never looked at that shouldn't be a reason. And I feel like my um, my idea about that and the way I see that, my perspective, I needed people to also be on that perspective. Like, so that that for me didn't dishearten me. It, it angered me. It was like, well, why? Why should that be a problem? If I know I'm healthy and I say that again, you know, if I'm doing everything to the best of my yeah. ability, why can't I bring a child into the world? That was all fine. The health side of it, <clears throat> I had to look at um, my lung function to make sure I had enough lung capacity to, A, hold a baby in my stomach and grow it because as the baby grows, as I learned, little push up on your lungs, yeah. which is actually a thing. So it was just also the post-pregnancy stuff. So not only getting pregnant. So men with CF are infertile. Um, oh, and I didn't know that. Like 80% of them or 100%? About 80, 85 to okay. 90% uh-huh. okay. of men. Don't quote me on that as of recent yeah. times. Yeah. But a really but high percentage. Wow. It's very high, unlikely. Like the men that have CF that I know that are fathers are IVF, all bar one, and there's not a heap of them. Yeah. So for women it's very difficult um, to fall pregnant naturally. Lucky, uh, my husband at the time for a good 12 months thought he was just getting very lucky at one week of the month every time. Um, But I had other ideas. So my pregnancy with my daughter, Ava, was the healthiest I've ever been in my entire CF life. My lung function was above normal and, you know, it was over, well over the percentage that it should have been um, or, or had ever been which is a great thing because there's a concern when you're pregnant with CF that you'll lose lung function um, and the lung function is what we monitor on, a, you know, every three months because when you start losing lung function, that's when your lung capacity is decreasing and then slowly the t- deterioration comes. So that was really good. Had a very good natural birth. What people didn't warn me of was what life was after having a baby. So pregnancy was awesome. I had the time every day to do treatment three mm. times a day, inhaled medication like nebulizers, um, antibiotics that were tablet form that were pregnancy safe um, so I could take care of me. Then you have a baby and you forget or you don't know, you have to become selfless because that little person relies on you. So it was a detriment to my health, but I breastfed Ava for nine months I was very skeletal skinny because of the pancreatic insufficiency. I struggled to gain weight. So I really, really struggled, but I was determined that, no, I'm going to give her my my breast milk. It's a mum thing, I think, that you really want to try and do that for your babies. So I actually started CF Mummy and I used that platform on social media to connect with other women who may have had had CF and had babies themselves. but then I started to realise that it was actually kind of interesting to show people that this is what being a mum with CF looks like and it's not easy. And it was a good reminder for me to kind of jump on. I had her, went back to work, fell pregnant with my little boy, Logan, and not, well, a couple of years later and struggled with him quite a lot because you, I had a toddler that I was running around after I was working. Um, my husband was great at the time, as supportive as much as he could, but, yeah, then we had little Logie and my health, I really took, um, I really struggled 
for probably a couple of years because I had the two young kids. I had postnatal depression, um, which I really didn't admit to until only a few years ago. So I didn't let anyone, I mean, with Ava, I didn't let anyone hold her for probably the first 12 weeks. Didn't like people touching her. But that came back to me going, I was given up for adoption. I wasn't wanted and mm. I didn't uh. want people having my babies. So there's a lot of depth behind a lot of my thing. With the kids, is it hereditary? Can they get cystic fibrosis? Yeah. Have they got it? Yeah. No, thank yeah. goodness. So um, what's the chances of them getting it? Do you know? Yeah. So when they meet someone, which is in a very, very long time, um, <laughs> they and have babies, they have a one in four chance. So they could get their partner tested the CF gene, so you can have genetic testing. Yep. Um, and then there's a one in four chance that the baby would have cystic fibrosis. So, so there, there was a one in four chance that your babies was going to have cystic fibrosis? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Can you take us through that process of weighing up the risks of being a mother and passing on this disease to your kids? Was was that part yeah. of the conversation or once that, that switch was flicked, there was just no chance you were going to go the other way? Um, once the switch was on, to be honest, I didn't even look at anything or think like that. It was the day that I did so many tests and I'm like, oh, we're actually pregnant. Mm. Now we need to look at what this meant. So my husband was tested, had blood testing to see if he was a carrier and he wasn't. So we knew the baby wouldn't have CF. What we did have come back though, um, Ava was a one in 28 chance of having Down syndrome. Um, and because it was such a high risk pregnancy as it, as it was, I didn't want to go and do further testing because I didn't want to have anything sort of maybe jeopardise the pregnancy and resulting of a miscarriage. But I knew she wouldn't have CF. But when we had that whole pregnancy, I had to consider that this baby might come out with um, a disability. And everyone was saying to me, Emma, you will be, you and Nick will be great with whatever you, you have. You know, you're strong. You've got CF. You can do this. I remember a few times getting to a point where I thought, I don't, I don't want that. I'll be fine with that. And, yes, of course, we'll be okay with that. But I have enough troubles as it is. I don't, A, want to have to try and be so strong for someone else when I can't always be that strength for me. But you, I got over that very quickly and thought, do you know what? God will give me and we will have whatever we're meant to have and we will make the best of that of that life um, that we're going about to encounter on. And, yeah, I guess... I do know of another mum who's got CF with a baby, with a child with CF herself, um, and it's a big struggle. They there's a lot of cross infection that happens. So COVID related right now, the 1.5 social distancing, CF people aren't actually allowed within five feet of each other um, because of the cross infection. So I couldn't imagine having a child with CF and not and having to be always around that um, my child. Probably the biggest struggle for me is when my kids get sick. Yeah. Um, I was about to ask you know, that. If they imagine if they had CF, went to school, child where everyone well. gets crook and yeah. then bring it home. Oh, it, Ava's first year of childcare, we ended up pulling both kids out in the end because it was just too much of a detriment to my health and I had to make a decision. I actually had to stop working um, because whilst I look healthy, I was, I was struggling. Of course you can look healthy for a couple of hours. Anyone can put makeup and whatever on, yeah. you know. Definitely a concern. You just have to be, you know, precautious and um, and do the right things. What about judgment from other people for taking that risk mm. and also for being a mother with the expiration date, as you say? There would, there would surely be mothers out there who think it's selfish and fathers and just people. Oh, people, definitely. Yeah. Over the years and even still today, I'm learning to be very thick-skinned and tough and 
you really can't let the opinion of others be a reason for you to feel down or, or let them impact mm. or influence how you make decisions because no one knows what I do on a daily basis. Um, you don't know what kind of mother I am. I lay with my kids every single night. I am very hands-on with my, my children. But in say even that, I don't even need to say that because I shouldn't have to justify what kind of mother I am to anyone. I know that I love my children and will give them the absolute best life possible to whatever ability I can, I can as any parent would do. So, again, like I said before, you never know what illness might strike you or when. My kids, Logie, my little boy today, said to me, Mum, can there be CF daddies because you're a CF mummy? And I said, well, there can be CF daddies. So it's funny now my children, they're five and seven, are at an age where they're questioning what I do in my treatment because they're obviously around when I mm. take tablets and do my all my nebulizers. So my job, if anything, comes back to what we were saying at the beginning is I'm normalising what everyone else sees different. When you go advocate, so you obviously I see you're an empowerment speaker and that, so that's obviously for everybody, but what kind of stuff specifically you do is the – um, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation stuff that you do, what kind of work is it? Uh, so with um, the ambassador role that I have for the Cure for the CF Foundation, yep. they um, support research, scientific research. So I go along, so there's many events that we go to. We'll talk about what research is happening, um, where they're at with the research. There's events that we go to. Basically, that foundation would not exist as many charitable non-for-profits wouldn't exist without fundraising and, and supporters. So given that I believe that cystic fibrosis, CF, stands for Cure Found one day, I feel like the Cure for CF has aligned very well and I'm very passionate in, about sharing the work they do. They fund different projects um, that go through an actual very big um, application checklist that it has to cover off so many boxes and it's accountable. They're held accountable for the money. So when people donate to it, you actually can see where your money goes. You know, I think it's $50 or $100 gives 45 minutes um, of research time. So um, it's very transparent and I'm, I'm very big with that. That's also allowed me to go into different organisations as well and, and talk about the foundation, talk about my story, sort of bring that human contact um, and that human story behind you know, it's, yes, it's CF, it's an illness, it's a disease, but this is how it affects me and this is why we need to do this. And it's about doing that. So I really love, I really love that role. I'm, I'm very excited with that. I do lots of different things with it. Good job. Um, Emma, we uh, wrap up our podcast with a question called the bowl of uncomfortable. This is where someone from our socials will send us a question anonymously or they can put their name to it. It's a question that they've uh, maybe have the curiosity to know the answer to, but maybe don't have the courage to ask that person face to face. And this one came from somebody online and mm -hmm. she asked, have you thought about the life your kids will have when you pass? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, um, I, I have. There was a period of time when the kids were both very little and I remember being on the couch and I had no energy, literally laying there, and I remember watching them running around and I, I, had, I couldn't do it. And I thought, um, yeah, it was, that was horrible. And that's probably the first one of two times I remember thinking, like, what if I wasn't here? How, would they be happy? What, you know, what would they do? And I think what I've come to, again, think is that I, while I am here, I need to give them 
good memories and good life experiences and teach them good values and be a good mum to the best ability I can so that if my time comes and God, hope it's not because of CF, I hope it's old age and I die in my sleep, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but if CF got to a point where I was there, me and their dad, we've had probably one or two very uncomfortable conversations. Um, I would never want my kids to see me the way I've seen some of my friends on a ventilator. But I guess if my time is to come, you know, I would just want to make sure that I've given them the best life possible. And I guess to go a bit deeper, when I've had a few friends that have passed, it was a really good friend last year, I had to sit with him a day before he passed away. It wasn't him in there when I was holding onto his hand and it wasn't him. And I remember thinking he would have hated for people to see him like that. Um but when you get to that point in life where you're at an end, you kind of come to a point being content. It sounds horrible, but you're, you know you're, you're going to pass. Um, and I've been around enough to kind of go, yeah, you've got to accept it. And um, I think it's when you accept when you're in that, that situation that you can be still that comfort for others to know that you're okay with it. That's where you're about to go. So I don't really think about it too much. I can't, why, why think about that stuff? It definitely crossed my mind, but my kids are crazy. I just got to give them lots of love and, and encouragement and not give them a reason to be afraid. Beautiful, bloody answer. And that's amazing. There's something about this podcast where people really open up. Like, that's a tough question. And we really appreciate the honesty about it. And tell you what, there's some lucky, bloody kids because yeah. they've got a beautiful mum. I always think back to Steph Agnew. She's uh, one of our uh, previous guests who um, has a hereditary uh, vision impairment, so she's blind. And uh, we asked the same question. Did you, knowing that you're probably going to pass this on to your kids, her brothers have it, her mum has it, would you think about, you know, having kids? And she has the most amazing answer. I actually go back and listen to it, and I recently re-edited the YouTube video for captions for her. It's online. And she says, I realise that my life isn't less than somebody else's and she lives a big life. She loves her life. She's got an incredible life. And so why shouldn't she be able to share that with somebody else and let her kids have the opportunity to have this life as well? And yeah, I I always think back to that statement that she said and I was like, it's so true. It It is so true. Yeah. Emma, give us your email. Give us how do people get in touch with you. EmmaMoney.com. I know you do a lot of speaking. Um, I'm actually very good on my Instagram, believe it or not, CF Mummy. I just followed, <laughs> hey, as you were, when you said that before, I just followed you. It's a good account. Got good I stuff. Heard. You don't follow me back, um, to be honest. So. I'll, I'll follow you back. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm pretty proud um, about that. <laughs> I'm pretty raw and real on there. I get in trouble sometimes because, you know, I, um, I'm a very, I'm learning to be unapologetically myself and walk that talk when I tell other people. But, no, you can definitely jump on my either, yeah, on my Instagram, my website, emmamoney.com. Um, that's probably the best way. Get in touch. I'm, I'm always happy to, you know, one of my big things is with my local hero status, I'm actually very busy at the moment going into schools across South Australia and doing my empowerment talks, running workshops with kids, which the energy, if you follow my CF mummy, you'll see um, I post all about the kids, the feedback and the love that we get. It's just if I could bottle up the energy and just sprinkle it all over, mm. the world would be a better place, I reckon. Well, make sure you mask up, Emma, because we don't want to lose you. No. All right? So be careful in those schools. As we said, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. 
Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. I've done most of the talking, let's be honest. That's what we want. That's what we don't That's want it. Well, hey, uh, everyone knows. Where does the vessel? Everyone knows I was born with a tumor on my spine now. It's, you can only tell it so many times. <laughs> Thanks, guys. What an incredible story and an incredible woman. A big thank you once again to Emma Money and a huge thank you to you for making it all the way to the end. We really appreciate you sticking around and listening to the full story. I'm recording this on my phone at my house in Melbourne because between Zoom meetings and recordings and microphones and Dylan's availability, it's difficult to find all the time to get everything at one moment. But I had to jump on here to say, uh, once again, a reminder, we have our social media at Listenable Podcast. Search for that on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, a lot of behind the scenes actions. Uh, we tease you guys with upcoming guests. And we actually have some of our previous guests as well. Jump online and answer any questions that we might not have asked that you wanted to know the answers to. So go back and have a look at those. Until the next episode, which sounds a lot like this. Hi, great to be here. Great to do stand up on the onlines. I, as we mentioned before, I was born. I was born with this with this arm. It's great. Uh, my mum, she wasn't aware, but she had to keep me. The hospital had that policy. <laughs> They're like, you break it, you buy it. So <laughs> stuck with me. But I, I often think that having an arm like this is it can be a bit of a curse. It can. Um, it's mostly because it looks it looks quite phallic. Those of you who, are, who aren't watching mm. the the video, it's phallic. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's ET's dick. Okay, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listenable.